Thank you, Pastor. Amen. It's a, uh, a high honor any time to bear the word of the Lord, and I consider it even more so to do so here Easter Sunday morning in your hearing. If you would stand with me as we read from a couple of scriptures. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 8 in the Lexham version. This is God appearing to Hagar in the form of an angel, a theophany, a temporal revelation of himself. And he says to Hagar, the servant of Sarah, from where have you come and where are you going? From where have you come and where are you going? And skipping into the New Testament, in John chapter 21, verse 15, a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, after breakfast, asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And by God's grace, I'm going to try to connect these two scriptures before we're done this morning. Would you pray with me? I'd like to title this this morning simply, When God Asks. When God Asks. Would you pray with me that I'd be able to share with you what God has shared with me? God, I thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to stand in your presence, Lord, having received communion, remembering your sacrifice for us now, Lord, and to hear your word, Lord, that creative word, God, as the Spirit has moved and now the word goes forth, I pray, God, that you would create in each of us that which you would, Lord, hallelujah, in Jesus' name, Lord, loose me to speak as you would have me speak, God, by your grace, Lord, to share in Jesus' Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. When God asks. Perhaps you've heard of it, but 20 questions. Anybody ever heard of that game? 20 questions? You can go to the next slide. 20 questions was a parlor game that gained popularity in the late 19th century but gained mass appeal as a radio game show in the 1940s and further still as a TV series in the 1950s. And the format was simple for those who perhaps have not played 20 questions or a, a variation of it. The format was simple. The answerer chose an object and the questioners would, one after another, ask deductive questions, to which the answerer would simply reply yes or no. The questioner, then, who could deduce the object was the winner. But if after 20 questions, the object that the answerer had chosen, that object remained unidentified, then the answerer was the winner. That was the format. And innately, I don't know about you, but innately within me, I want to win. I like to, can I get a witness? Anybody there like to win, right? 
Anybody like the alternative? Because like, even people who see themselves as losers really do like to win. I mean, just we're all candid here this morning. So we want to win at whatever we put our hand to. Some of us are more competitive than others. I, I grant you that. But nobody sets out to put their hand to something and say, oh, I hope I lose. Right? And so as that applies to whether it's a game show or whether it's life, we want to win and to be successful in life. And so guess what? We ask a lot of questions in life, don't we? Because we're trying to deduce life's big answers. We ask questions, and especially as young kids, right? Especially as young kids. Why is the sky blue? Where does toilet water go? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there now? Where do babies come from? Right? As kids, it's one question after another, right, that we, that we ask. We've all, and even if you don't have young kids, you yourself as a kid, you could probably recall some questions that you asked your parents. In fact, I would ask my dad, and, and he would often retort his sort of little quip to me was, what are you, a cop or are you writing a book? Because I would ask so many questions. As we grow older, the questions may change. And we may stop asking some of the questions aloud to other people, but they don't go away. As we wrestle to make sense of things, why things happen the way they do, as we wrestle to win at this game called life. Four questions, and my next slide has four questions. These, I'd shared these recently with uh, the youth class. Four questions that everyone asks, whether consciously or unconsciously, every living person will contemplate these questions. Question about origin, from where do I come? A question about meaning and purpose, why? Why am I here? A question about morality. How should we live? How should I live? And a question about destiny. Where am I going? What happens after death? These are questions that everyone, to one degree or another, will wrestle with. Even the apostles, as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, having died, been buried, now resurrected, about to ascend. The disciples are full of questions. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They wanted to know, now that you've resurrected, now that you've done what nobody else has ever done in history, that you've raised yourself from the dead, now in this fully glorified body and, and wielding the power that nobody else, now are you going to drive out the Romans? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to its glory days under David and Solomon? Is now the time? Now, God, now? Are you going to do it now? They kept asking. Now, Lord, now? How about now, God? Now, are we there yet? Are we there yet, God? Jesus, how about now? Now, God, now in this journey, are we there yet? Right? And they kept asking. It's almost like 
like I, I, in my mind's eye, I say Thomas maybe at the back of the group sort of put his hand up, you know, when they're asking all of these, this question and Thomas like slips his hand, uh, God, before you go, uh, where do babies come from? Right? Because they're just almost like kids just asking these questions. And yet Jesus' answer in verse 7 is very telling. It says that he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know. They are not for you to know. Have you ever asked a question and you've been given the answer, it's not for you to know? For all of their passion, for all their excitement, for all they're looking forward, here the all right, now's the time. It's got to happen. Now it's about to like this, and it's not for us to know what. I say that again. What are you? What do you mean? You've lived with us three and a half years. You've taught us all these things in your misery. We saw you die a horrible death on the cross. We didn't know what was happening when you were in the tomb, buried for three days. Now you've resurrected. You've been with us. You've taught it like this. And what? It's not for us to know. How incredibly frustrating. Notice, however, that Jesus correlates, in his answer, Jesus correlates knowledge with authority. He said, the Father alone has authority, and it's not for you to know. He correlates knowledge with authority. And in doing so, Jesus really gets to the heart of why the disciples asked what they asked. He really gets to the heart of why many times, not all the time, but most times, many times, we ask what we ask. Because by asking and receiving knowledge, we're really seeking authority. Authority. You see, it goes all the way back to the very beginning when it began with the tree of knowledge of good and evil and a question. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, are you sure that that's what he meant? Are you for certain that God said that? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? In stark contrast to Satan, into our natural sinful man, asking questions to usurp authority, to gain knowledge so that we can, with that knowledge, then wield authority. Because that's what Adam and Eve sought to do. It was good for food. It was desirable to have knowledge of good and evil, and so the original sin. But in contrast to that desire for knowledge, which is the desire for authority, when God asks a question, and and here's the gist, here's the crux of the the whole message. If you don't hear anything before or anything after this, please take this away when you leave this morning. When God asks a question, 
He's not looking for a solution to a problem. When God asks a question, he's really extending an invitation. He's extending an invitation. The man and the woman had hidden themselves, having sinned. They had withdrawn from the presence of God. And so when God came walking in the cool of the day, he asked in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, where are you? Where are you? Not because he didn't know exactly where they were. God, all-knowing, omniscient. We, he wasn't laboring under, oh, you under this bush, you behind this rock? No. He knew exactly where they were, but he was extending an invitation. God didn't ask because he wanted to gain knowledge to wield authority over them as some great condemner of sin. But God asked and extended an invitation because he wanted to restore relationship with them. And when God asked in verse 13 of Genesis 3, what have you done? It wasn't because God did not know what they had done. He knew exactly how things had transpired. But he asked so they would confess and accept his plan to cover their sin. Not with fig leaves as they had attempted to do, but with a living sacrifice. Animals that were slain. Skins that were then applied. Indicative that God had already had a plan in place to restore them because he had a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning. Not all questions are wrong to ask. We certainly have proof in the book of Job, of Job, uh, Job asking questions, and yet God followed up Job's questions with 64, I believe it's 64 consecutive questions. Have you ever, have you ever been in prayer and you're praying and you're like venting to God and you could be upset about something and you're just praying to God, why is that? You know, and God's got big shoulders. You can complain to God. Better you complain to him than somebody else. And then God will ask you just a single question and it feels like he's just punched you in the kidney. Almost like he's taking your breath away. And you immediately feel, oh, my Lord, God, forgive me for my attitude. God, I repent of having that wrong spirit in God. That's just one question that God asked. He asked Job 64 consecutive questions. Talk about getting pummeled. And yet he said that Job had not sinned. Habakkuk asked questions. He didn't understand why the nation of Israel was in bondage to an even worse nation of sinners, the Babylonians, and so he asked. So not all questions are, are wrong to ask, but questions are asked either for knowledge for the sake of authority or asked for knowledge for the sake of relationship. And so in that context, let's look at some of the questions that God asks. When God asked Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, why are you so angry? When he asked Cain, why are, it was an invitation for Cain to be angry no longer. 
It wasn't a matter of, he knew what had happened. He knew what was in Cain's heart. And yet I'm extending you an invitation, Cain, not to be angry any longer. When God asks us, when we're so fraught, we're distressed and we're upset and and God asks us, why are you so angry? He knows exactly why you're angry. But he's offering you an invitation and an opportunity to release your anger. When God asks in Genesis chapter 18, after Sarah's laughter, that a woman of her age could bear a child, he said, why did Sarah laugh? What did she say? Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? When God asks, is there anything too hard for me? It's because he's extending an invitation for you to prove him, for you to see the miraculous in your life. No, there is nothing too hard for God. Hallelujah. And I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to put me to the test. When God asked Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, from where have you come and where are you going? Oh, boy. Two of the big questions in life that we've already covered. From where are you coming and to where are you going? Existential, biblical questions, certainly. But again, it's not because he didn't know what had happened and how Sarah had had driven her out and how she was fleeing from the only people that she had known and had cared for her. He knew exactly what he had in store for her. But he was asking her, Hagar, trust me. I'm extending you an invitation to greater relationship. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to leave you to die in the desert. But I'm offering you an opportunity. In Isaiah chapter 6, when the Lord asks, whom shall I send as a messenger? Who will go for us? It's not because God didn't have a plan in place. It's not like God was up there not figuring out, well, I got nobody else. Who is going to happen? No. But he was extending an opportunity to Isaiah to be a part of what God had in store. Who will go for, who will go with us? Who, who, who shall I send? Who will be my messenger to this people? Isaiah, you have an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to be something greater than you ever could have imagined all by yourself. I have extended an invitation to be part of my plan. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus came to his disciples and said, whom do people say that I am? He'd heard the whispers, likely as a man and as God, he certainly knew what people were saying. So the disciples entertained him and said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the prophets. But then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter but whom say ye that I am? Whom do you say? It's far less important what everybody, the crowd is saying, what the rabble is saying, what the gossip that is going around. In your heart of hearts, whom do you say that I am? That is not a question about knowledge. That is an invitation to know him more and more and more, to know him intimately, to know him as the God, man, man, God, Jesus Christ, God robed in flesh. Hallelujah. That's what that was. It was an invitation. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked, 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? He's asking us to weigh where he's asking us to pause, not to give him an answer. He's not pro- trying to solve some existential problem here. He's inviting us to partake of something that is more, more than just what this world has to offer. In Luke chapter 8, a woman with an issue of blood all her life came up behind Jesus through the press, touched the hem of his garment, the fringe of his robe, and Jesus immediately stopped and asked, Who touched me? Who touched me? Again, not because he didn't know what this woman had gone through all her life, not because he was confused with everybody pressing in upon him, but because he wanted this woman to stop and realize just what had happened, just what flowed from, just what was available to her in that moment of his virtue flowing to her, who touched me. And in John chapter 20, a risen Savior, a Jesus Christ who now had stepped forth and emptied that tomb as we heard this morning, from Brother Desi, hallelujah. Cross paths with Mary, who was, was distraught over his missing body. And in John chapter 20 and verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Why weepest thou? He knew why she was weeping. He could feel the distress because we have a, a mediator. Jesus Christ was tempted, the Bible says. That means that he was tried, that he was tested in all the points just as we are. He felt every human emotion that we, he had felt that distress that she was now feeling. He knew that. And yet he was asking her, why weepest thou? Because it was truly an invitation for her to dry her eyes and to stop weeping and to rejoice because the one that she was seeking stood before her more alive than he had ever been on that earth before. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You see, when God asks, it's not really a question. When God speaks into your spirit and he asks you things, it's not really a question, but it's an invitation. The answer that God is seeking is relationship with him. It's not power and authority to be wielded in our lives, though we owe him our authority and our allegiance and our submission, but we do so willingly, not because God draws it out of us. But the answer that God is seeking and the reason why he asks questions to invite us is because he wants greater relationship with you. Having died a horrible, brutal, cruel death on the cross, having been buried for three silent days, having resurrected himself, and now shortly before his ascension, with all the questions that the disciples and Peter had themselves, the most pressing question on Jesus' mind was the one that we read initially from John chapter 21. After Jesus 
I'm sorry, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me, Peter? Peter, I, I know that you denied me three times. I know you weren't there when I needed you most. I know that you beat yourself up about it. I know that you hold it over your head. I know what you've done in your past, Peter. I know where you've come from, just like he knew where Hagar had come from. And I know where you're going, Peter. I know that in your future, you're going to be carried to where you don't want to go. Things are going to happen to you. You don't want to have happened. You're going to die a horrible death. I know where you're going. I don't ask this, Peter, because I'm seeking knowledge. But I ask, Peter, do you love me? Because I want greater relationship with you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And even when Peter got upset because Jesus continued to ask him a first time, a second time, and a third time, and Peter said, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, that I love you. Because Peter wasn't cluing in. It's not about the knowing. And even when Peter deflect, uh, deflected and he asked about John, Jesus' answer, if I can paraphrase, Peter, it's not about you knowing what's going to happen to John. Because it's not about the knowing. It's about the trusting in relationship. That's why I died to reconcile you back to me from the very original sin that had stained mankind for millennia. He died for the sake of relationship. He was buried and rose again now for the sake of relationship. And the questions that he asks us today are for the sake of relationship. I don't have the answers to all your questions. But I know who is the answer to all your biggest questions, all your fundamental questions. From where do I come? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and that Word was made flesh. From where do we come? The answer is Jesus. Meaning and purpose. Why am I here? Jesus. To fulfill God's purpose. To, to reach to reach a world, to, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is my purpose. How should I live? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And what happens after death? What is my destiny? Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is the answer to all of life's biggest questions. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you stand with me this morning, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul asked, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
If that same spirit, hallelujah, dwell in you this morning, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. He shall make alive. He will resurrect your mortal bodies, hallelujah. And this mortality will put on immortality. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, hallelujah, hallelujah, by his spirit that dwelleth in you, that spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that pure spirit that came down because Jesus went up, hallelujah, because he was resurrected. If you have the spirit of God dwelling in you this morning, oh, hallelujah, oh, we have a hope that surpasses this life. Oh, thank you, Jesus, joy and joy unspeakable, full of glory, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you've not, if you've not received the Holy Ghost evidence and speaking in a heavenly language that you don't understand, language that you would have questions about that you don't understand that seems confusing, that's all right. I'm saying trust God. You don't need to know, but you may know as you draw into greater relationship with him. If you've not received that spirit this morning, of God indwelling your body. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God desires greater relationship, not just to feel God moving in his church, but to have his witness in your spirit inside you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That is why he lived and died and resurrected and came again, hallelujah, to quicken us, to make us alive. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you've not experienced that in pour, out, in filling, outpouring of the Holy Ghost, I urge you, if you have questions, come forward to this altar and ask God openly and honestly. And God, God may not give you the answer you expect, but he will draw you into greater relationship as he asks you to trust him more. I open this altar this morning. Let's spend some time rejoicing, hallelujah, hallelujah, that God has made a way that we can come into greater relationship with him. We may not have all the answers. We may not know with our minds just how things are going to work out. Oh, God, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, but you rose again in newness of life. God, so that we could receive your spirit. Lord, and ourselves walk in newness of life, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 